Morning church, he is worthy uh, indeed. Today, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 5. Um, and I know we're still taking a break from First Thessalonians, but I thought this would be um, a fitting theme for our year. And not only that, but for Easter Sunday as well as we celebrate the resurrection. Chapter 5 actually finds itself as uh, part of a larger literary unit in the book of Revelation. Uh, so that really spans from the beginning of chapter 4 all the way to the end of uh, the first few verses of chapter 8. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Revelation's easy to find. Just go to the back. Uh, it's the very last book of the Bible. We're going to read this entire chapter. I know we've already read Revelation 4, and we're going to read Revelation 5 now, and this is purposeful because we'll be covering really uh, a lot of this literary section. Let's read this together. Revelation chapter Five, starting in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Gracious Father, we are in awe of your grace and your love as it has been preeminently demonstrated at the cross. Where your son took upon the sins of all your people. Bearing the burden of the cross, bearing the curse, bearing Lord, their guilt and their shame so that you could redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Father, we are humbled to be counted among them. We are grateful 
that no grave could hold our Lord Jesus Christ. He was raised for our justification, vindicated as the Savior of God's people, and even now sits at your right hand interceding on our behalf. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see this morning a glimpse of that glorious scene. And we pray all these things in the name, the precious name of the one who is worthy, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, let's dive in. Today, many people will be celebrating Easter, of course, or Resurrection Sunday. Easter eggs will be hidden and found. Chocolate bunnies will be divvied out and eaten. Feast will be prepared. Families will gather and celebrate. But where is Jesus in all of this? Where is the risen Jesus we briefly acknowledged before adoring our eggs, rabbits, and food? This morning, with God's help, I would like to take us beyond the resurrection of Jesus to behold a history-changing, earth-shattering, heaven-celebrating scene. The significance of the resurrection as it's depicted in the book of Revelation. Today, I'm proclaiming to you a vision of the risen Lamb. The glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ seen from the perspective of one standing in the throne room of God Almighty. So, buckle up. We are about to enter into another world, a spiritual reality. In in many ways, the realm which we are about to go this morning is indescribable, even incomprehensible. Yet God was pleased to give the Apostle John a vision from that spiritual realm. Now before we dive in, we must remember uh, that this, which was recorded in the book of Revelation, this vision is recorded in apocalyptic language. So all the things we're going to see and hear as Uh, They were revealed to the Apostle John. If we are going to understand them correctly, we must understand them in the light of apocalyptic language, meaning that these are signs and symbols that point toward profound spiritual reality. And I'd also like to begin before we dive into Revelation chapter 5 by examining Revelation chapter 4, which we've already had read for us in the service. What do we find in Revelation 4? We find in Revelation chapter 4 that God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of worship. That's really where we're going to begin this morning. In fact, if I could summarize the entirety of that chapter, Revelation chapter 4, I would do so with those five words. God is worthy of worship. We see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, behold a throne set in heaven. John is taken into the heavenly throne room. Now, little is said about the appearance of the throne itself, but I think it's safe to assume that this throne is a magnificent, glorious, and splendid throne. Allow me to point out the obvious. Kings sit on thrones. 
People in power sit on thrones. When the king is on his throne, he is present to rule and to judge. Sovereign commands are issued from a throne. Supreme will is exercised from a throne. The throne is a symbol of sovereignty and power. This throne is in heaven. Telling us that the one who sits on it rules over everything in heaven and on earth. We should note, however, that this throne is not empty. We read in verse 2 of chapter 4, and one sat on the throne. This ruler, whoever he is, is not absent. He is present and he is ruling. Of course, we know without John telling us who is seated on the throne. Psalm 11.4 tells us this. We read, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Psalm 103.19 tells us the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 66.1 tells us heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So who is seated on the throne? The only true and living God, the creator and sustainer over all things. The Lord God Almighty, the one who has revealed himself to his people through his holy word. Look what John says in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 4. He says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Notice, by the way, that John doesn't really offer us a precise description of the one sitting on the throne. He simply uses precious jewels to fill our imaginations with luminous color and depict the splendor and majesty of this being who defies description. He is a thousand times more beautiful than the most incredible natural wonder beheld on the most clear and brilliant day. He's a million times more excellent than the most exceptional creature arrayed in all of its glory. This is our God. To behold his glory, to catch a glimpse of his grandeur, to see but a moment the opulence of his being would fill you with such awe that you would find all words deficient and wanting. Just use your imagination here. Capture the scene and the glory of our God. This God who's described to us in these verses, however, he's not just just majestic and beautiful though he is, but he's also powerful. Just as when he appeared at Mount Sinai, we see that he is surrounded by flashes of lightning And peals of thunder, they surround his throne. And not only his throne, but 24 other thrones with 24 elders seated upon them. These elders, these rulers, they're all wearing crowns. And yet, before the throne of God, they fall upon their face and they cast their crowns before him. They know that their power is derived from him. They acknowledge what all of creation should recognize, and that is by His will, they have their existence. This God says exist, and they exist. Everything that exists, exists according and by his will. Therefore, he is in a class 
of his own. He has no rivals. Not only 24 thrones with 24 elders or rulers, but awesome and fearsome creatures constantly attend him with unceasing worship. In fact, if we were to see these creatures, we would likely fall on our faces and worship them, or at least be terrified but reverent. These are remarkable, tremendous creatures, but they are creatures created by the one who sits on the throne, and they worship their creator. It says in verse 8 of chapter 4, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That means right now, these creatures, full of eyes with six wings, fearsome and mighty, are worshiping the same God who created us, the true and living God. So please allow me to ask just a simple question for us. If these creatures that are so magnificent and powerful are so inclined to offer God worship 24-7, what makes us think that we can worship ourselves? Our lives, our jobs, fill in the blank. These creatures worship God always, yet we deny our creator the worship he deserves. Are we greater than these creatures? Are we greater than the 24 elders who fall down on their faces and cast their crowns before his throne and worship him? Look at what verse 11 of Revelation chapter 4 says. You are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. God is worthy of worship. Listen, not simply of our singing once a week. Not simply a prayer before bed. Not simply a thank you for this meal three times a day or a help me, I'm in trouble. No, God is worthy of our rejoicing in him always, praying to him without ceasing and in everything, giving him thanks. He is worthy of our love, our trust, our service. And if we meditate on what John saw, I think we would be more faithful in offering this one true and living God the worship he deserves. He is worthy. By the way, this is the foundation of the gospel. This is necessary in order to really understand the gospel. If you have never met the God I'm proclaiming to you, this eternal, all-powerful, holy God, this one God who has always existed in perfect communion and love as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you have not met this, the biblical, true, one, and only living God, then friends, you've never really understood the gospel. Hear me, God is not simply some nice grandfatherly-like figure who just wants you to be happy. Nor is he some genie in a lamp like Aladdin who's just ready and available to grant all your wishes whenever you need him to. Our God is not weak. He is not limited in anything other than his own perfect nature. He is able to do all his holy will. Our God is not sitting up on his throne, wringing his hands, wondering about what's going to happen next, wondering if everything's going to be okay. Psalm 115.3 tells us our God is in the heavens and he does 
all that he pleases. Listen, there will be no deal making with this God. He has no fellowship with sin. Every one of his creatures owes him allegiance and worship, period. That's the reality. There is no other and his justice is perfect. This is the God whom you will have to encounter. This is the God whom you will stand before and give an account for your life. There will be no plea bargains, by the way. There will be no pointing at your neighbor and saying, well, God, certainly I'm better than this one. No, the standard is clear. What is required is known by all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself perfectly always. If you have ever failed to do that, then you are guilty and without excuse. And listen to me, these are not my words, my terms, or my criteria. These are God's terms. You know this God. Even if you suppress the truth, you know you owe him worship, even if you refuse to do so. God has also said that no one worships him as he ought to be worshiped. And so the question is, Do you think that you will approach the throne depicted here in Revelation chapter 4 and prove to your creator that he is wrong and you are right? That you can actually stand, that he owes you something, that you do not deserve judgment? I doubt it. But we do get to move on to chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see that God is worthy of worship, but because of what we just talked about, no one is worthy of God. God is worthy of worship, but no one is worthy of God. See, what John sees next is actually deeply disturbing. Uh, We start with this scroll in Revelation chapter 5, likely symbolizing God's covenant with humanity. Listen, I know this might be news to some of you who are hearing this, but everyone is in a covenant relationship with God. Everyone. It's kind of like a marriage. You don't even know you are married or you suppress the truth and deny that you are married. You are in relationship with God and you owe him faithfulness. You owe him worship. You should obey him and you don't. Instead, we have been unfaithful. This covenant comes with curses and blessings. It comes with promises. The covenant scroll here, as it's depicted, it contains God's purposes for history. It contains the plans for executing those covenant curses and blessings. That's what's hidden within this scroll. So someone must open it. Someone must break the seals for God's purposes to be realized. And so there is God, he's seated on his heavenly throne with a scroll in his hand, and then verse 2, it tells us, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. That's everywhere, by the way. No one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. And and remember, without someone to open the scroll, God's purposes and, and plans remain unfulfilled. They could not move forward toward their realization. 
I, I don't want you to miss this. If the scroll remains unopened, friends, sin remains. If the scroll remains unopened, the bad guys win. The worship that's depicted in Revelation chapter 4 is never experienced on earth. Never. The prayer of a Christian, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That does not happen if the scroll remains unopened. The promises even of the prophets remain unrealized. For example, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. How do waters cover the sea, by the way? Completely. Is there any part of the sea that is not covered by water? No. This is the promise of the prophets that relies on the opening of the scrolls. The vision recorded at the end of Revelation, it will never come to fruition. It could never materialize. God would never come to dwell with his people. He would never come to wipe away our tears, sickness, violence, hate, and every type of malicious, destructive deed would continue. Do you see the urgency here? Listen, the hate of radical Islamic ideology would spread unabated. The bloodlust and abusive power of men like Kim Jong-un would continue. Sure, he'll eventually die, but he'll simply be replaced by another, likely more evil than he. If no one is worthy to open the scroll, and friends, the terror attacks and the mass shootings will continue on forever as they have since the beginning when Cain killed Abel. This is what is at stake. It is no wonder why John, therefore, begins to weep. We certainly can understand that. It's easy to see, isn't it? Look at verse 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. John understands the magnitude of the problem here. The elders, as great and powerful as they are, seated around the 24 thrones in the presence of God, are not worthy. The four magnificent creatures who worship day and night, they are not worthy. The mighty angel who is proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? They are not worthy. No one in heaven, it says, or on earth or underneath the earth is worthy. No one is able to take the scroll and to look into it. No one has sufficient authority. No one is able to unveil God's hidden plan, nor have the power and authority to implement that plan. So John begins to weep, and he weeps loudly. What hope have the people of God if God's promises will not be fulfilled and God's plan cannot be executed? Friends, but look at verse 5. Look at this. Verse 5 says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. There is one who is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy. That's 
That's the truth. That's the hope we find here in verse 5. Jesus Christ is worthy. Those titles that were given, they're messianic titles. Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the root of David. But I want us to understand this. Why is Jesus worthy? What makes him worthy? I mean, the 24 elders seated around the throne, depending on who you think they are, they're in the very presence of God. Have they not been purified? The magnificent creatures who are worshiping God, even now, right now, have they sinned against God in some way? The angel who's proclaiming who is worthy, has he done something so that he is not worthy to open the scrolls? What makes Jesus worthy? There has to be something more here, and there is. We find it in the rest of chapter 5. What makes the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, worthy to open the scroll? Well, the first thing we see right there in verse 5, friends, that is, Jesus has prevailed. He has prevailed. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. See, the 24 elders had not prevailed. The creatures had not prevailed. The angel had not prevailed. But the lion of the tribe of Judah prevailed. We really, in order to understand this, need to go back to the beginning of the story. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were created to worship God because as we've seen, he is worthy. But they were deceived by Satan and disobeyed God, refusing to worship him. The story could have ended right there. Judgment could have fallen, but God in his mercy and grace did not let the story end. Instead, God makes a magnificent promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Right after they fell into sin, God promised that man would defeat the serpent. A man would conquer the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. There would be one that would prevail. God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The rest of the Bible is the unfolding of that promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In fact, these two titles in Revelation chapter 5 verse 5, uh, they're pointing back to times where this initial promise in Genesis 3 15 was um, unfolded, unpacked, and expanded. For instance, in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10, this is where we see the description of the line of the tribe of Judah. We read this, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. Uh, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The lion of the tribe of Judah is the promised prevailer. His hand shall be on the neck of his enemies. His brothers will bow down to him. His scepter, and if you don't know what a scepter is, it's this uh, ornamental staff that, that rulers would have, those who in authority would have on ceremonial occasions as a symbol of their absolute sovereignty. It will never depart from Judah's hand. He will rule with absolute sovereignty and the whole earth 
will obey him. He is a prevailer. He is a conqueror. The promise of Genesis 3.15 will be fulfilled by a man from the tribe of Judah. The other title we have, the root of David, it's a reference to the messianic promise of Isaiah 11. There we read, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his root. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Then you skip down to verse 5 of Isaiah 11. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Verse 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Again, in this passage in Isaiah, the promise of the one who will defeat our enemy, Satan, is given greater specificity not only from the tribe of Judah but from the root of David. Uh, this prevailer, not only will he defeat Satan, but he will rule the nations. He is the prevailer who has rescued God's people and overcome their enemy. He is worthy. I want to answer two questions, though. Who has he prevailed over and how has he prevailed over them? <clears throat> two questions to help us clarify this. Prevailed over who? Specifically, the devil, sin, and death. Prevailed how? By his life of worship and obedience. So this prevailer prevailed over who? Specifically the devil, sin, and death. And how did he prevail over him? By his perfect life of worship and obedience. Jesus bruised the head of the deceiver by refusing to believe the devil's lies and instead trusting in his heavenly father. He passed the test that Adam and Israel failed. He's fulfilled the whole law. The covenant he's about to open, he has fulfilled. He has been rewarded its blessings and is worthy of judging the nations according to its curses. But worthy to what? Worthy to judge and to rule. Look what happens as this one um, opens the scroll and begins to break loose the seals. The whole world is Judged. We find this in Revelation chapter 6. I can't read the whole thing to you, but I encourage you to read it on your own time. Uh, but that's what happened as Jesus, as he opens the scroll and begins to loose the seals, all of God's enemies are brought to justice. The wrath of God and the lion of the tribe of Judah are poured out progressively on them culminating in this judgment that's depicted here in Revelation chapter 6 in the opening of the sixth seal in verses 15 through 17. Look at what it says. In the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Friends, notice that not only has Jesus prevailed over Satan, but he has prevailed over all of those who side with Satan against God. He has been given authority to execute judgment. As Paul told the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, 
He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all. How? By raising him from the dead. Did you hear that? Easter actually assures us that God, that Jesus, is worthy to judge. That's what Easter assures us of. And I in no way intend to be contentious or offensive, but the reality is while half the world is preparing to hand out chocolate bunnies and hide Easter eggs, Jesus is, is, is ready, preparing to return and judge the living and the dead. Is that what you're celebrating here today? Because that's Easter. And who will stand when Jesus comes to judge? According to Psalm 24, 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, let me paraphrase, he who is perfect. Only the righteous, the perfectly righteous will stand. And if Jesus is the standard, then who will stand? Well, it actually leads us to the second reason why Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy not only because he has prevailed, but Jesus is worthy because he saves. Look at chapter 6 of verse 5. Because this prevailer appears, the, the conqueror, the king, he appears. But he does not appear as a regal king. He does not appear adorned with a purple robe and an ornate scepter in his right hand with a magnificent sword dangling at his hip. He does not appear with, with some encrusted diadem sitting nobly on his head. No, how does John describe his appearance? In the midst of the throne and of the 24, uh, and of the four living creatures, excuse me, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Did you hear that? When, when John describes the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, when he sees him, this one who has secured victory over Satan, sin, and death, when John sees the mighty son of God, he sees him as a lamb who was slain. As a lamb who has appeared to be executed. And this slaughtered lamb has purchased a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He is worthy because he has saved. Again, who has he saved and how? Who has he saved? He saved everyone he has redeemed. In Revelation 5, 9 and 10, this is what we read. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. So who can stand? All who Jesus has ransomed, all he goes on to describe who have washed themselves in the blood of the lamb. The breaking of the seals is as much about salvation as it is judgment. In fact, there's this beautiful interlude in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation uh, where we read starting in verse 9, 
After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white, ro with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. These are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, He will shelter them with His presence. We read in Revelation 7, 16 and 17 about these who is redeemed. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Church family, that's the end game. So who is saved? Those who he has redeemed. And how does Jesus accomplish this? Exactly how does Jesus save them? Through his suffering and his death. Jesus suffered and died. That's what we celebrate. Listen, if, if you think you know Jesus let me introduce you to the biblical Christ. All the majesty, all the glory, all the beauty, all the splendor of God depicted in Revelation chapter 4 belongs to the Lamb in chapter 5. You have got to see that. So we read again in Revelation chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. We read, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, if you remember verse 11 of chapter 4, it was the Lord God Almighty who sat upon the throne, who is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. In verse 12 of chapter 5, it's the Lamb. Remember, God Almighty will not share his glory with another. Then we read this in verse 13 of Revelation chapter 5. And every creature who is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. The God who is sitting upon the throne and his Lamb both receive worship. The Lamb is God. This is the one who died on Good Friday. Is this the one who you came to meet today? Is this the one who you came to celebrate today? Is this the one who you claim to know and follow? There is no other. The eternal Son of God was clothed in human flesh by the power of the Spirit. He became a human being so that he could suffer and die. He is the one who is worthy. Think about it. Who else could redeem a great multitude that no one could number except God himself? Yet, only man could ransom another. Man had to shed his blood and give to God the price of his life. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. That is what is required. Life for life. For it is the blood of atonement, or it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. This is how Jesus Christ saves his people. 
The Son of God, whose life is worth more than all the creatures ever created, became a man so that God could shed his blood. So that one worthy of the worship of all people could lay down his life. It's mind-boggling. You can't celebrate that once a year. How do you even celebrate that a couple times a year? You can't. If you try, you don't. This is the story and the significance of the resurrection. This risen lamb is the one we celebrate every day and every Sunday here. Jesus, the lamb of God who died for our sins and was raised for our justification, is worthy of worship every single day. Every day is resurrection day if you are in Christ. He is the reason we gather. He is the reason for our hope. Jesus is risen. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is saving and Jesus will judge. So one final question to wrap all this up. Who will stand when he comes to judge? Only those who trust in and worship the Lamb. That's it. Only those who trust in and worship the Lamb for he is worthy. He is worthy. That's the question for you this morning. Have you trusted in this one? Is this the one whom you worship? Or have you worshiped of Jesus of your own creation? Friends, this is the biblical Jesus. And he is worthy of your worship. If you are not worshiping him now, I'm not saying if you've walked down an aisle on another Easter Sunday, if you've signed some sort of card or prayed a prayer, if you don't worship him today and every day, then you have no reason to consider yourself a true Christian. Is this the one you are trusting in and worshiping? I pray that it would be so. Gracious Father, Lord, you are indeed glorious, majestic, splendid, beautiful, beyond compare. You are worthy of our worship. For you created all things and by your power they exist they continue to exist. You sustain all things, granting your common grace to all, to the wicked and the righteous alike. Father, your mercies are new every day. Your love is unfathomable. Your power, incomprehensible. You are a great God, worthy of the praise of all creatures. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Lamb. We thank you that by his blood, we who trust in Christ have been washed that we might stand with the multitude on that day sheltered from the scorching, sheltered from the sun, having every tear wiped away, enjoying eternal life that is knowing you. Father, would you help us to live into that future reality even today as we meditate on these things. We pray them in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Friends, the invitation is clear. For those of us who know yourselves to be a Christian, oh, Jesus is, worship, is worthy of worship, not just after this video is clicked off, but for the rest of your day and every day. Make sure as you do all these things, and listen, I'm, we're not against Easter egg hunts or chocolate bunnies or feast, obviously, but make sure at the center of all that is the glory in worship of the risen Lord Jesus. And if you, you can't answer the question that was asked earlier, 
that you really don't know if this is the Jesus whom you worship, friends, please do not hesitate to reach out to Pastor Justin and I. We'd love the opportunity to share with you this, the risen Lord, the biblical Jesus, so that you could join us on that day, not standing in your own righteousness, but standing covered in the blood of the risen Lord. Thank you, church family. I hope you have a wonderful Easter Sunday. We love each and every one of you. God bless you.